just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Landlords across this city are starting to make concessions to renters as we build, 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 and our vacancy rate rises. So does that mean Salt Lake City is no longer in a housing crisis? It's Thursday, December 14th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Taylor Anderson, editor of Building Salt Lake, we recently learned that there is an oversupply of Salt Lake apartments, but for years we've been hearing that there's not enough housing supply to meet demand. So are we in a housing crisis or not? Basically, what we're seeing right now is that the last 10 years of building kind of culminated in 2021, 2022, and now we have enough supply. We're getting to the point where apartments in Salt Lake City are costing less now than they did a year ago. And the market has met the demand that we've that that previously wasn't being met in particularly downtown Salt Lake City, but in the general region, too. We now have more supply than there is demand and prices are falling. So if our housing crisis is not a supply problem, then how would you define the housing problem that we have now? Because there's definitely a problem out there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one problem is that people can't buy houses. If you want to buy a house, it's never been less affordable to do so. That's one problem that I think we'll talk about. Another problem, again, is is being addressed right now. Like everyone looks at these new apartments that are being built and they're saying, oh, nobody will ever be able to afford them. Well, they are being filled up. It's taking longer to fill them. And that's creating competition among the owners of those buildings to get them full, which means they're going to drop the prices to get people to rent them. So yes, housing was out of reach. There was not enough of it. It was all driving prices up and out of reach, both for, for sale houses and for rental properties. And now we're seeing at least one segment of the market meeting the demand and the market is causing prices to fall. I mean, something you hear people talk about a lot is the idea that investors are hoarding our housing stock. How real is that problem in Salt Lake? That's nuanced. I mean, I don't know if you're getting okay. at like the <laughs> the thought that, oh, there's a bunch of empty buildings. Nobody's actually renting them out. We could use that for other mm-hmm. uses, either for a lower income bracket or for people experiencing homelessness. Generally, it takes a long time for new buildings that are complete and ready to rent for those buildings to get rented up. And that's just like, historically, that's just how it goes. You build a new building and it takes you about 12 to 18 months to fill it up. And that's part of the cycle. When we talk about the vacancy rate, the number of units that are not being rented right now, that includes new buildings that have come online, but just are looking for that person to rent. That person is out there. It just takes historically about 12 to 18 months to find them. And now with this oversupply of housing, I mean, we have about 6,000 new units coming online. Usually we get about 900 per year. We're going to get several times that coming online, and it's just going to cause a lot more competition, not among renters, but among the owners of those houses. Uh, There's going to be more apartments sitting vacant for a longer period of time. So how the market kind of reacts to that, we'll have to see. But as far as like owners hoarding 
buildings, I don't know, they put $100 million on the line and now they're going to find out how they're going to how their bets going to pay out. Well, what does all of this mean for renters? Like, how will they feel it? Very good thing for renters. I mean, I just checked the nice. Zillow observed rent index. Zillow every day, every month releases a new report on the price of rent. And they say it now costs $200 less to rent an apartment than it did last December. I mean, rent is $200 wow. less per month than it was a year ago. And all indication is that that's going to continue to fall. So it's a very good thing, especially if you're in an apartment right now. This is, I, th I think, important advice for somebody who might be coming toward the end of their lease. There's so much competition among building owners, of, among like newly built building owners to get you into their property that you can actually play them off of each other and say, hey, I found down the street, they're willing to give me two months free rent or their rent is X and you're trying to charge me why I want X because it's less or it's a better deal for me. This oversupply problem is a very good thing for renters. That's why prices are falling. That's why concessions are way up in Salt Lake City. And that's why I think prices are going to continue to fall for the next year or more. Wow. That's so interesting to hear because we've really been at Landlord's Mercy for the past few years. And it does feel like the big turn was around the pandemic when we saw rent really skyrocket in the city. Do you think we could get to sort of like back to pre-pandemic kind of prices or is it going to be super gradual? I don't know how far, you know, people who study this are not, they don't want their name out attached to like some prediction that ends up falling flat, yeah. you know? Um, so it's really <laughs> the hard. Nate Silver problem. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've heard as much as rent falling $500 per month downtown specifically if you're renting an apartment, it'll be like $500 less per month than it was and I think that was like 2022 levels, but I can't get that on the record. So it's gossip right now. But like mm -hmm. when there are more vacant units, prices cannot keep going up because if you are a renter, you'll just walk down the street. And historically, renters in Salt Lake City do that more often than any other market. We're younger, we're mobile, we're you know making more money this year than we were last year. So we're going to go to the nicer apartment unit. We're going to try to get into a single family house eventually. And historically, Salt Lake City renters are on the move. So now that they have even more options than they ever have in recent memory, uh, it's just going to keep happening. And again, competition is happening at the building owner level. They're fighting each other for your rental dollars. And it's just it is good news for renters. Well, and I mean, renting has never been the American dream. Homeownership is. And it, it feels like that's still where we have a big issue in this state. With Governor Spencer Cox releasing his new budget proposal, it's been interesting to see him kind of turn a page on his approach to housing. He seems to be hot on density these days. He's excited about what's planned for the Utah City development. He said that housing prices are the greatest threat to our prosperity. He's proposed $150 million to build 35,000 starter homes by 2028. What does this tell you about how the state plans to address this issue moving forward? Things have been coming to a head for a couple years where all eyes are on the legislature to say, what are they going to do? Are they going to take, are they going to let some towns require that only McMansions are built on a big hmm. lot that's going to cost more than it would on a smaller lot and, and where developers might build smaller houses? There are towns that have basically zoned out of existence, this concept of a starter home. Like Midway, Utah, you will not find a starter home built in Midway, Utah. They have basically just made it impossible to create. And what Governor Cox is doing now is saying, like, we can't keep doing that. Starter homes are dead in, in the US. They're very much dead in Utah as well. And so this $150 million is like that opening that he's making again, because it's just a proposal at this point. We're going to go to the legislature and then they're going to have the final say on 
how much of that 150 million if there are strings attached. But, you know, this was like the first indication of what the state is willing to do. And it looks like subsidizing the creation of housing is where they're going to go. What is a starter home exactly? Like, is it defined by a price tag? Is it defined by size? That's a really good question. I don't know if there's like an actual definition of it or if it's just like somebody making the median wage in the U.S. can afford this without, I think, spending more than 30 percent of their income on housing. That's probably what it is. And I think, what is it, around $400,000 or $450,000, something like that today? If that's the price of a starter home, I still can't afford that. <laughs> like that still feels so out of reach. Yeah, prices prices have gone pretty bonkers in Utah. And it wasn't that long ago where you could, you know, 2017, you could find starter homes all over the valley, including in, in downtown Salt Lake City. But those days are gone. And I think what we're seeing is the governor trying to get to a place where these are actually being built again. When I read through the details of this, 35,000 new starter homes, that's a goal. That's not like we're going to spend $150 million and now we're going to have those. He's saying like, we would like to set the parameters, set things in motion where builders are building new subdivisions that have houses that cost less than $450,000. Here's what we're going to do. So if you dig through some of the details, he wants to sub... This is not a Salt Lake City specific policy. We're not really going to see these houses created in Salt Lake City. We're going to see them... Okay. In the yeah, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to be too tough on this because it really is... It, if it was easy to build these homes, like builders would be doing it. If you could cut a profit by building a house that costs $450,000, I think we would be seeing that more than we are today. And so half of that $150 million that Governor Cox is proposing, that would go to just a fund that is managed by the Utah Department of Transportation to build sewer lines, water lines, and roads. The things that you see in like a green space new subdivision, a thing, uh, you know, a piece of land that used to be a family farm that then was sold to a private developer that then when you start to see those like winding roads and cul-de-sacs, you know, before there's anything else built, that is what half of this money would go to. And we don't see that type of construction in Salt Lake City. We see it in Harriman. We see it in whatever suburban Davis County, Weaver County, everywhere else, Utah County, West Side of Utah Lake. This is not a Salt Lake City specific policy, to be sure. Yeah, I mean, because similarly, when I read through it, I was like, well, as a Salt Laker, new subdivisions doesn't necessarily do much for me. I mean, letting a little air out of the market is good for all of us, like it takes the heat off. But the Salt Lake City homeownership dream, I think right now, based on conversations I'm having with friends, is a condo. <laughs> it's like, I would like to get out of my rental apartment and I would like to buy into a condo. I don't necessarily see this proposal leading to more condo development in Salt Lake City. No. So one thing that it could do is we are seeing the type of starter homes that are, are actually being created here as well as nationwide, here being in Salt Lake City as well as nationwide, are townhouses. Mm -hmm. um, condos aren't being built. And that's a whole separate episode that we should talk about, uh, that the state could actually make a change around the laws around creating condos that we would see more starter homes in the, f in the form of condos being built. But we are seeing townhouses being built for sale and $50 million in Governor Cox's proposal would go to the program that would allow first time home buyers to get up to $20,000 in a loan to either pay for the down payment or buy down the rate because interest rates are so high, which is part of the affordability problem okay. or something else that would qualify. So 
that's the one piece of this that could be kind of Salt Lake specific as well as statewide. So it's not to be overlooked. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. Well, we do need to traipse into the question of zoning because you tweeted at the governor, which I loved, and asked him if he was calling for local municipalities to change their zoning to allow for starter homes to be built. And he said, yes. So what zoning changes are needed to make this happen? I mean, back to like midway, I, I was like digging through the maps of every, again, zoning is, those are the rules that municipalities write for private development, what happens on private land. And so you can go find the map that says for each parcel in a city or a town, this is what is generally allowed to be built there unless you try to change that zone. So you look at the zoning map and you say, okay, in midway, for example, again, not to pick on them, but this is kind of one example of statewide how cities use their local authority to set the rules that then guides development. And mo much of the land, I shouldn't say most, but much of the land is you have to have an acre of land or you have to have a half acre of land in a place like Midway or Wasatch County. You know, that's a very popular place to be. People want those views of Mount Tipinogos. They want like the outdoor recreation and everything. A half acre of land is going to cost so much more than a sliver of that, than 5,000 square feet, which is the size of my lot, which is plenty of space for a single family starter house. You know, you need half an acre of land in much of the town of Midway, which means a much bigger house is going to be built on that because it's just a more expensive piece of land. So if somebody builds a house, it's just going to be for that top income bracket. 
And right. so there's just so much less opportunity in the town of Midway to create the starter home. It's just not, it's not happening. It's the amount of land where you can build that is so minuscule that it's just not, the houses that already sit there are going to continue sitting there and the vacant land is going to be higher end basically. So could the state look at some sort of strings attached to the 150 million of, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, let somebody qualify in your town if your town has a reasonable amount of space that's dedicated to, that's zoned to allow starter homes, right? Because some, some towns might not even want them. They might want to be a draper. They might want to have million dollar houses. We don't want 450,000. We want to be a nice town where it's very expensive and you have to make a lot of money to live here. And that cuts out all the opportunities for people on the up and coming to even get a start in a town that they might have grown up in. I don't know what that might be, but just we have a lot of towns that have zoning that is leading builders to create 2,500 square foot McMansions rather than, you know, what we used to see built, which was the typical starter home of about 1,400 square feet in the 1940s when houses were affordable. So I don't know what the actual policy might be, but like the state and legislators have shown an appetite and a willingness to look at and consider like, is there something that we could do either a carrot to lead cities to rezone their map, to rewrite that map and, you know, encourage more starter homes to be built or if it's more of a stick and say, you're not going to get X, Y, and Z. I don't know what that might be, but if you have a zoning map that doesn't allow for starter houses to be built, we're not going to, we're not going to give you some incentive to do whatever. You don't get to come to the Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That might work. That might actually, we might see some widespread change there. Your kids in Murray can come, but their parents in Draper cannot. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Where are the most persistent barriers to making progress on housing? Is it at the legislature or is it at the city level? It's at the city level. And so Mm. if you wanted to see what we've seen in other Western states, like California is doing like they're pulling out all stops. They're saying if cities in California don't have a reasonable plan to create affordable housing, houses that people can afford, the developer, the owner of that land is just going to be able to do it. California is going all in on on creating affordable housing. They're behind the eight ball. They need to catch up, obviously, but they're doing more than any other state that I can think of to allow this. Montana just changed its statewide rules to allow more than one house on a lot. And when we talk about that, like when you start to break lots that are currently way too expensive for ordinary people to afford, when you start to break those up and save enough space for a house on there and a single family house that you could buy, you are now like creating more opportunities for that starter house to be built, to exist. Because right now, when you back to your original question, who holds all the power right now, the cities hold all the power. Right. Like when we think of Midway saying a lot of its land, you need to have like half an acre or an acre of land to even have a house on it. That's going to inhibit or prohibit starter homes from being built. So if the state went and said, no, you need only 10,000 square feet to build a house in any town across the state. That's like I don't want to call it the nuclear option. That's actually like a fairly reasonable option that I know legislators are considering. I don't know if we'll see legislation around it, but you can't have the McMansion zoning citywide. You have to have some amount of reasonable zoning where we might see developers add some starter houses again. That might be what we see happen because right now the cities hold all the power. And for too long, they've been kind of zoning out of existence, the starter home. And time will tell whether we actually see that happen at the legislature. Well, you and your team at Building Salt Lake have been reporting on housing policy decisions for a while now. But I want to know what you think the biggest win has been in 2023. 
Yeah, Salt Lake City is definitely leading the way in Utah when it comes to creating more affordable housing. I mean, that's this is why we see rent coming down. We did see it go up at unprecedented levels in downtown, just like we saw it nationwide. This was a a nationwide market problem where things got really screwy for every housing type out there. So set aside the pandemic for one second. You know, that the price increase was very real and, and people felt that very much. So not disregarding that, but we are seeing prices come down now because Salt Lake City is so favorable toward new development with the bet being that if we allowed the market to create enough housing supply, in this case, apartment housing supply, we will see prices coming down. So we're at that aha moment where 10 years of Salt Lake City being favorable to multifamily housing construction is now paying off because instead of rent continuing to go up like they are on the East Coast, it's coming down at a very rapid clip because of all that work. It takes time for these houses to be created. Like th- These are systemic problems that Salt Lake City has been working on harder than I think other cities across Utah. The biggest win and this this came days after election day. The city council just passed the affordable housing incentives, which in theory will allow up to four units on a single family lot. In effect, Salt Lake City just got rid of single family zoning altogether. If you have a lot and you own it and you meet certain requirements, you can build up to four units on it. It doesn't matter if that's in Yalecrest. It doesn't matter if that's in Glendale. You can do that. That's a huge win. And when you dig into the details, we might see how much change that affects. But like, that is like the holy grail in the country right now because houses are so expensive is allow more houses on more lots. Salt Lake City just did that. That's just a monumental win and it should be celebrated for sure. When do you think we'll start to see or feel changes from that? Is it a year? Is it five years? It could be right away. I mean, I don't know if there was a time clause for when that takes effect, but I'm thinking of another recent change. Again, how Salt Lake City is leading the way. They just reformed a zone that we have that's called RMF 30, residential multifamily up to 30 feet high, RMF 30. And for decades, the city previously created around that zone made it so that nobody was going to be able to do anything in it. Whatever was already on those lots was locked in amber. But earlier this year, they rewrote that zone. And almost instantly, we saw developers be like, oh, yeah, like that makes sense. We're going to use that right away. As soon as like day one that the new rules took effect, we saw it happen. So back to the affordable housing incentives, like we will see. There there are a lot of like caveats around like like there are restrictions in place, I think, that that might make it so that it's not as meaningful on day one as it could have been. But I'm not here to critique that. It was a huge win. We could see like, you know, I'm not saying citywide. I'm not saying every lot's gonna turn into a fourplex tomorrow, but it's more than we could see before the election. So it's monumentous for sure. Hmm. Well, Salt Lake City Mayor Erin Mendenhall starts her second term in January. What do you want to see from her on the housing front? I want her to keep an open mind. We're in this point now where she did so much in her first term straight up. I mean, accessory dwelling units, we rewrote the, the laws around where you could build backyard cottages. RMF 30, don't sleep on that. Like that was a huge rewrite to a small amount of land. So her team might be interested in rewriting the other multifamily zones to make it more practical, more likely that we see you know, development happen on those pieces of land. She could tinker with her policies, but I think we're at a wait and see moment because she did so much. The city is going full throttle on housing policies that honestly, like it's kind of lame, but like sit back, watch that work in, in, in action, and then be prepared, be willing to look at the data and make updates to those 
changes that you made based on what the data is saying. I think that's like what I'm really excited about because really I was surprised that the city passed the affordable housing incentives. They they passed such a big package and don't forget thriving in place. Like they've done anti-gentrification work. They've done anti-displacement work. They're doing everything that they can to see like if what happened in the rental market is going to happen citywide, basically. The rental market downtown is going to happen citywide. We'll see. So we're wait we're wait and see. That's where we're That's at. That's not as exciting, but you know, we are. And and I think wait and see what the legislature does to see if they change anything that would affect Salt Lake City. I'm really curious if they're going to do anything that would affect every other town in Utah. But Salt Lake truly is leading the way when it comes to the, these issues. And I'm curious to see how it's all going to play out. Taylor Anderson, editor of Building Salt Lake. Thank you so much. Thanks, Allie. Happy to be here. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Today is our two-year anniversary of the show, so thank you for two fabulous years, and here's to many more. And on that note, we will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. 